The personal is always political and the political is always personal. You're tuned in to Poppin' Policies with R. Jordan Davis. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Poppin' Policies. Today in the Situation Room, we have Laz, and we're discussing the Black agenda and how Black people can leverage their power and their voices to make a difference in 2020. And so without further delay, let's hop right into this conversation. I know that a lot is going on right now. We're in a state of emergency. Uh, if you will. But I want to start off the conversation with uh, a comment made by former Vice President Joe Biden, where he said, if you ain't from me, you ain't Black. How do you feel about that? And should Black people be offended by it? And how did, how did you perceive that interview? If you saw the whole thing, how did you perceive what he said? Well, I think that, um, you know, I think Joe was speaking in jest when he made the that joke. Uh, I didn't take much from it, knowing the you know the context of the interview, and um, and just knowing that he came in on the defensive because you know Charlemagne, the guy from uh, uh, one of the hosts of the Breakfast Clubs, uh, was very critical of Joe Biden for the last you know six or seven months. He's been right. very critical of Joe Biden, and I think. At sometimes even unfairly, uh, I think some of it has been fair uh, and legitimate uh, criticism of uh, Vice President Biden, and uh, but I think a lot of it, you know, is missing a lot of context and nuance, especially when you bring up uh, stuff like the '94 Crime Bill, the crack laws, and, and uh, mass incarceration within the Black community. I think that Joe Biden and uh, and uh, also President Clinton are shouldering a lot of the burden that they shouldn't have to shoulder. And so I think Joe came in with the mindset that he was going to uh, be, he was going to uh, be on the offensive. He was not going to allow his record to be attacked. Mm -hmm. And he was going to, um, you know, speak to some of the issues that affect the black community uh, as far as what he's being told from his inner circle of, uh, of, you know, black analysts, black uh, uh, campaignsmen, and, and, and so on. Um, and I think that um, when he made that comment at the end, I think it was in jest. If you, if you see what he looked like and the smile, I think he was just trying to joke and have a good time with Charlemagne. Uh, and unfortunately, sound bites. Uh, if if you if you're just listening to that last ten seconds of that sound bite, it does make you cringe. It does huh. make you. You know, we live in an age of sound bites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to cut everything up and we're going to make it sound like how we want to sound like to to make everyone upset. And, you know, I think you have to you have to understand uh, that anytime you listen into a 10 second clip or taking a one line out of a scripture or one line out of a, a out of a, you know, your favorite song, like listen to the entire thing and Absolutely. understand there are, is context. You set the stage for whatever punchline that you come out with or whatever joke that you come out with. And that is, uh, or, and, and understanding whatever scripture or, or, or poem or whatnot, like you can't just take a, a little excerpt and try to expound upon that without understanding the true context and the true nature of why it was said or, or, or 
inserted, right? Right, right. So, so you know, I listen to the Breakfast Club quite frequently, and I understand how that uh, show is kind of put together. Uh, and when I l- got a chance to, uh, to you know, see that episode and then see that interview, I didn't really take much from it. I didn't think that was going to be, I didn't think that was really a thing. I thought it was a, a just a poorly placed joke. But I think the Black community has to really uh, sit back and examine the last four years of this uh, current administration mm-hmm. and and really do some uh, some, some, some soul searching, right? Yeah. Um, when we say, when he says, if you having a tough time figuring out if you're for me or if you're, uh, if you have, if you're having a tough time uh, figuring out if you want to vote for me, you're not black, you know, like I said, that's a joke, but you know, at the heart of that comment, like what part of voting for Trump or not voting period, you know, helps the black community. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think people have gotten to this place of hopelessness and they, Mm -hmm. they figure that voting is no longer the answer. Like you should just stop voting, which I am totally in a, in disagreement with. I think voting is so imperative and so important. How dare you forfeit your voice, um, a voice that so many others sacrificed for you to have. And when you look back at Trump's policies, they are not for black people. And so while the comment was made in jest, I think there was some validity to it. Now, do I believe he should have said it? Mm, you know, look gray there for me. But I, when you look at Trump's policy and the current administration, like you said, over the past four years, um, it makes total sense as to why uh, he would place that there. Now, recent reports are coming out that, uh, of course, we know Joe Biden is looking for a running mate, and he has um, he has stated and made uh, the claim that he will choose a woman uh, as his running mate. Now, reports are coming out that Amy Klobuchar was a prosecutor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and kind of did not prosecute the uh, the officer who is responsible for George Floyd's death. And uh, what do you have to say about that? What do you have to say about Hermes doing? And if she is chosen uh, to be his running mate, what does that look like for the, the Biden campaign? Well, uh, with the Biden campaign, I think that uh, Amy Klobuchar was one of, uh, one of the names of, um, that he was vetting. So I don't think it, it, he settled on her as the uh, as the um, as his running mate, and I don't think you can at this point. Um, I think I read a report yesterday saying that uh, there were 18 different is- incidents of police misconduct and or uh, police brutality against uh, the gentleman uh, involved in the uh, death of George Flynn, and she declined to prosecute or investigate on every single one of them. Right. And so I think that that really speaks to the black community as a, um, like, is she really for the interest of the black community, right? Is she really going to, uh, um, when we have it, um, instances like what we're seeing here in the country, is she going to take, um, is she going to take the stance that we see with uh, the Trump campaign where, you know, 
she is supporting police officers and lacks the compassion that the black community needs at that time. And by no means am I saying we need a candidate or a vice presidential running mate that does not back police officers. But what I am saying is that we need someone who can understand the plight of the black community, uh, the suffering. And um, we need to, we need somebody who understands uh, that there is an issue with how we police communities of color and, and those issues are being magnified today in the day of, you know, cell phone images and, and videos. And what we don't need is a candidate or a vice presidential running mate who is going to be silent on issues of police brutality towards right. uh, black and brown communities. Right. So do you have a, I know we are talking about running mates for a presumptive nominee really since last May, it's been a whole year. And so, like, do you have a, a favorite right now that you're looking at that you hope he'll choose that you think will uh, will be a great fit for his campaign and kind of amplify his campaign to attract more people? I don't know if I have a favorite per se. Uh, what I think, but I do think there are some people who can help his campaign, uh, but they're not all women. And so he's already committed himself to a a woman as his running mate. So I think the only thing that can really energize his campaign at this point would be Stacey Abrams. Uh, Kamala is a brilliant uh, legislative, and she uh, she's an amazing senator for uh, the state of California. But I don't know if that brings the energy to the campaign that he sore he's just so sorely needs. Right. I really think that that is a uh, an Abrams ticket, uh, a Biden Abrams ticket, uh, an an opportunity to see if she has the ability to energize the South, the state of Georgia, and to flip Georgia. I don't know if Georgia can be flipped. Uh, I'm one of those who thinks that it, it's a long way off, but it was a tight campaign uh, for the that gubernatorial race uh, where she ran for uh, governor. Yeah. It was a tight race. Uh, maybe the opportunity, you know, that was a midterm election as well. So, you know, you do have a lower voter turnout in a midterm election. Maybe, you know, in a general election, Georgia has a bigger turnout and she's able to flip Georgia. That would could be huge for the Biden campaign, uh, especially with the Rust Belt in play. Yeah. That's so interesting that you say that because I know there have been a lot of people to come out and say that, oh, she shouldn't be campaigning for the position. I personally don't think she's campaigning for the position. I think she's doing her job as founder and chair of her nonprofits. Um, so what do you have to say about the backlash that she's getting for, uh, quote unquote, running for uh, vice president's uh, the vice presidency and what do you have to say about those people who say well she's never held a uh, a high enough or she doesn't have the political uh, clout uh, to run for vice president because she hasn't assumed a state or a federal position um, I think that uh, a lot of people are so caught up in yesterday's um, uh, way of doing things and, and not the way that people do things now. I think that what she has done 
whether it be campaigning or whether it just be keeping a national profile so that she could still be considered. Um, she has done a great job still remaining in the national spotlight, still championing uh, voter suppression, still uh, making sure that, you know, the rest of the country still remembers her name. Uh, she doesn't have a position that, um, or a, a national profile, you know, built for her like that of a senator or a congresswoman. So she does have to uh, do a little bit more to be, you know, to remain in the public spotlight as she, right. um, you know, as she continues to want to work on the national stage. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I don't believe that you have to then run for Congress or run for Senate or run for uh, governor before you, you know, then assume that uh, the role is the VP. I, I just don't believe that. And we have someone as the commander in chief of this country who is a reality TV star. Right, exactly. <laughs> a reality TV star, you know, oh, with with oh. no law school, with you know C plus grades <laughs> from whatever business school. I mean, how how can you say that? Like, how can you say that? Especially people of color. That yeah. those people bother me the most when you say that because she has she understands the law. If I'm not mistaken, she has a law degree. She does from Yale. Yep. She has a law degree from an Ivy League institution, and you're telling me that she is uh, not equipped enough to, uh, to to hold the position as vice president. Yet the president is a reality TV star and and, and a sexual abuser, and then a, a misogynist. Are you kidding me? So black women have to work what ten times as much to get half yeah. of what of, of what a white man gets. I, I just I, I I struggle with that. I, I just. I have an, a real issue with that. Yeah. Trump, Trump does not understand the laws. He does not. He, 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 he understood nothing about being president. He had absolutely no experience. He has no law degree. He has never served in political, uh, any kind of uh, political office. And yet you're telling me that a state legislator with an Ivy League law degree cannot serve as um, vice president? know about that one it, it was I, just very appalling just to see you know black congressmen you know kind of spew that type of 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 language about how you know you you can't you didn't even win a state race how do you expect to just be gifted you know the vice presidency and i i don't think she's asking for a gift but like you said she's done an amazing job at staying in the national spotlight she has a law degree, like, you know, and that just plays on the misogyny that is in politics. I think that also plays on uh, just the elitism and not even the elitism, but more so the racism um, and misogyny that is in politics. Um, and which leads me to my next question. Um, amidst all of the things, you know, that are going on, Amaya Arbery, um, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, people are looking for a new way of doing things. And so I've heard from a lot of people, you know, starting over, start from scratch. Um, I personally don't agree with that. Um, I, I feel like the, our best bet would be to infiltrate the system. So how can Black people continue to be um, politically active without being labeled as a sellout by their own, if you will? 
Well, that's a very um, loaded <laughs> question and very uh, difficult one to answer. I think that infiltration requires every single aspect of government. And I think that, you know, one, we need to start exposing ourselves to those different roles within government. Um, there are certain cities that do it better than others. Uh, I went to school in Columbus, Georgia, where I knew two of the state senators, uh, Senator Ed Harbison, Senator, uh, State Senator Emmanuel Jones. I knew many of the uh, Georgia Assembly members, uh, the Dean of the Georgia uh, Assembly, um, Calvin Smyrie. I knew um, the city councilmen like Bruce Huff. I knew the city, uh, the mayor at the time, uh, Teresa Tomlinson. Like we knew, and I knew our congressman, Sanford Bishop. We, we knew all of those leaders yeah. and they were all black and they were all active within the community. And I got into a, uh, a debate with someone a couple of months ago and his problem and his issue with voting is that the leadership does not reach out to people where they're at to expose and to introduce themselves to people. And I think that although I disagree with that comment in its entirety, I think there is a little bit of truth to it that not only do we need to infiltrate when in leadership, but as we get people into those uh, different um, those different offices, we need you to now come back to the community, back to the barbershop, back to the churches, back to the schools, and people need to you need to make sure that your people familiarize your face so that they know when they see you who you are and what you do, right? And how and and how your role impacts their lives. Yeah. And the more that we have people do that, whether they be black, brown, or white, you know, we know who to, who we can hold accountable, but we also know who is serving our interests. Exactly. And I'm so glad that you said that because I feel like politics, Southern politics in particular, are going back to that grassroots type of campaigning, grassroots type of movement. Um, and you saw that a lot, you know, I'm, I'm from Birmingham, so you saw that a lot with our last mayoral race with Randall. Um, you saw that with the Abrams for Governor campaign. It was more so like, we're coming to you. Like, we want you to see us. We want you to see that we're here for you. And I think that is so imperative. And that's why I believe um, each of those campaigns were so successful. Although, you know, Abrams did not win. And we, uh, there are a number of reasons that we can posit for that. Um, I still believe that she was successful because it birthed, you know, fair fight action, fair count. Um, and it, you know, just birth all of these initiatives that are so imperative and keep the important issues at the forefront, right? And so where do you see Southern politics going, you know, from here? Where do you, how do you see it changing? Um, what do you see from Southern politics? Well, it will depend on uh, leadership. It will depend on leadership. It will de depend on uh, some of the names that you just mentioned uh, those who were successful and those who were unsuccessful, reaching out to those people who are on the streets right now, who are angry, frustrated, uh, in tears, uh, who, who, who are desperate for their voice to be heard. Now the, the spotlight is on them and we need leadership to emerge from this. From this tragedy, leadership should emerge. And we need those leaders who were elected, those who did run, those who asked for the vote to step up and, and, and meet those young people who are on the streets and, and figure out 
how can we create a collective response to what we saw in those videos to ensure that this doesn't happen again? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up as well in terms of leadership. A lot of people are saying that, you know, leadership is lacking. Um, we don't have leadership for this particular movement that we're trying to start um, in the modern day. Um, you know, there was Martin Luther King who was the, at the helm of the civil rights movement, Stokely Carmichael with SNCC. Um, yeah. And so we're, we're lacking leadership. And so does that leadership come from the church? Does that leadership come from our elected officials? Like where, where do we find leadership? And is leadership even necessary? I would say it is necessary, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, to address the last question, is leadership necessary? Absolutely. I think we have seen that through film and what we've seen through just real life. Uh, when there is no leadership, the mob, uh, the protest turns into the mob. And, and there is no clear direction nor goals for whatever the protest is. Right. Uh, so we don't want a... We, we don't want to leave a space where there is a, or a void in leadership because then you just leave everyone to their own devices and people are emotional, people are frustrated, people are angry, and that, that, that won't end well. Not for us, at least. Yeah. So we do need leadership to, 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 to get with the collective and establish goals for what they want moving forward. Because without leaders, I mean, how do we come to the table and make demands? There's too many voices at that point. We need, we need a few voices that have gotten the consensus of the masses on what we need and what we want moving forward. And those people who have tried to campaign or who, who hold those offices need to be at that table fighting for the, the goals and, and the wishes of those leaders. We don't need an installation of leadership by said politicians or uh, or police or whatever uh, you know forces are at work. We don't need that. We don't need puppets. We don't need you to try and install puppets because this isn't a movement that can be led by puppets. Yeah. So I've been reading Dr. King's last book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos, Our Community. And one of the quotes in the book, um, it says, in the days ahead, we must not consider it unpatriotic to raise certain basic questions about our national character. How do we <laughs> shift our national character to one that is absent of, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna say absent of, but I'm gonna say anti-racist um, because it's just interwoven into our system. How do we raise certain questions to where we're able to, to make a 180, um, if you will, uh, from this, be from America being known um, as this, or or move forward at least, not not even not being known or disassociating, but moving forward or progressing, because it feels like we're just living in the same time period. It seems like we're living the '50s and the '60s all over again. We just have cell phones. So how do we move? Um, how do we progress? Uh, I think progress. Uh, progression will come through uh, allyship uh, and um, just, I guess, unification and, and strategic goals. So 
we have to have some kind of strategy on how we're going to uh, accomplish the goals that we have, but we have to have unified goals. We can't have a, a divisiveness within uh, this movement, at least not to the point where the movement starts to suffer, right? Mm -hmm. And so coming up with some type of goals that we can all rally behind and a strategy to accomplish those goals while empowering ourselves and the leaders that we elect with allyship from those of other communities, I think that's how we move forward. But, you know, it has proven to be difficult, one, because the lack of leadership, and then the other, the lack of allyship from other people of other communities. You know, we see, you know, from the videos and the pictures I see, they're sprinkled in, in the marches and the protests, but they're, they're not there at the forefront. They're not there in large numbers uh, from what I could see. Uh, not that they're not there, but they're not there in large numbers. And we, we cannot have the moderate continuing to bash the riot and, and not the thing that led to the riots. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was great. I don't know if you have anything else to share with us, but we've kind of reached our time limit. So um, if you want to share some last words or your socials where people can keep up with you and um, hear what you have to say about certain issues, you can share that at this time. Well, uh, I'm Laz, AK on Facebook. Uh, I don't really post any um, a lot on uh, Instagram or Twitter. I guess I need to uh, hop back out there. Um, I think that uh, we as a community, we're hurt right now, but I think that moving forward, th there is hope. We, 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 can't, we cannot lose hope in who we are and what we can accomplish. Um, I think that we need to be prepared to show up in large numbers in November because they are district attorneys, there are state legislators, there are school board members, there are police chiefs, there are mayors, they are state senators, they are, there are people in all different facets of government that all play a part in the issues that we are facing as a people. And if we don't show up at the polls, then we are digging our own graves. Voting isn't the, the only thing, but it is part of the solution. Uh, I think that there needs to be a heavy influence, um, I mean, emphasis, I'm sorry, a heavy emphasis into figuring out what we want, what is our black agenda, and how can we uh, create one that we all can agree on and, and, and reach out to those who we've put into political offices and demand the things that we want. Big shout out to Laz for swinging through popping policies on today to talk about voting, leadership, Joe Biden, and all the other good stuff that I know you and your friends are talking about in your circles. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, like, comment, leave a rating, all that good stuff. In addition to following the podcast on Instagram at Poppin' Policies Podcast, or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at IamRJordan for more updates on podcast episodes and their air dates. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. See you next time on Poppin' Policies with your host, R. Jordan Davis.